Welcome to A Christian and a Buddhist Walk Into a Bar. My name is Jamal and I'm a Buddhist. I'm Jacob. I am a Christian. And how are you feeling on uh, on this fine evening, Jacob? I'm feeling all right, but do you know what I'm missing, what Jamal? Are you, what are you missing? Turkish Peter. Missing Turkish Peter. <laughs> That's Which true. I think you had about five times yesterday for all of your meals. I did. Um, uh, as, as we will get to, I, I had this... The same Turkish PD from the same Turkish restaurant uh, twice in the same day. Uh, I went for lunch at work to that place, and then we uh, we went to an event, Jacob, and we uh, had the same food. And it, it, look, it was still good, though. <laughs> I, good I, I'm food. not going to complain. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So where were we last night, Jamal? What 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 took you to the Peter? What took me to the Peter? Um, well, realistically, I, I wasn't there for the Peter. I was there for the interfaith dialogues. Um, which was an event run by the Australian Centre for Christianity and Culture and I think the Blue Star Institute yeah, that's right. was a co-sponsor. Uh, and it was it was in Canberra. It was at St. Mark's. The Australian Centre for Culture and Christianity, which is kind of co-located with St. Mark's. They're all part of the Charles Sturt University universe. Yeah, and like. uh, so we went there to a panel um, with a... Christian, a and Buddhist, a Buddhist. And, <laughs> and also a Muslim and also a Hindu and also uh, Paul Bongiorno, uh, Australian journalist, uh, Catholic and also um, someone with a theology degree, which I, I did not know. I, I did not realise that. So Paul Bongiorno, for those who don't know, he was a political editor for Network 10 for many years. That's where I mostly remember him from. And he's been in the Canberra Press Gallery since forever. And, yeah, has a master's in theology from Rome, yeah. of all places. Oh, he's a Catholic. so uh, I, w- I wonder if he considered being a priest or something at some stage. It's the kind of thing you, you Maybe. do. Anyway. I, I, yeah, I, I, to be fair, I feel like he would have liked to have done fisticuffs with George Pell, but let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yes, um, the, the panel uh, was essentially a conversation about uh, faith and democracy. Uh, and kind of a discussion about uh, different religions' take on those two topics, mm. the ways they intersect, all that kind of thing. Which are kind of things that we circle around the podcast a little bit. So we thought we would go along and, and see what we discovered and found out and, and maybe ref- reflect. We're getting a bit meta here, but like if, if we reflect not just on what we think but what on, on what other people said because we, we haven't had any um, Hindus or Muslims on the show and we still yeah. have not. Well, <laughs> exactly right. But but we we heard more of their views. That's true. Um, last night than than perhaps of the ones that go in our internal monologues. That is very yeah. true. Now, um, just by the way of introductions for people who are not representing themselves on this podcast, uh, the Christian of the evening was Dr. Jonathan Cole. Uh, the Islamic representative was Associate Professor Deria Iner. Uh, the Buddhist was Lama Chodek Rinpoche, and the Hindu was Santosh Gupta. Yeah, that's right. And there uh, there were cameras there last night, so I'm hoping it was recorded and will be available somewhere. And if it is, we'll put a link to that in the notes for this episode. And, and I mean, you can go listen to them yourselves and, and also listen to us chatting about it. For sure. And look, we won't go fully into bios for all of them, but, you know, uh, safe to say they're all uh, well-versed. They're there for a reason. Leaders. Yes, yeah. they're, they're yeah. Yeah, very much, um, you know, uh, leaders of their community, um, well-versed. Um, in their various religious uh, practices, either as 
are, you know, ordained people in their religion or as professors or academics who who study that thing. So, yeah. Yeah, and they, they talked about – there were kind of four key issues that were talked around. Like the first is, well, when, when the state is secular and recognises no religion as is constitutionally enshrined in Australia, like is there a role for – religious people in politics which i think it was you know fairly obvious from the get-go that well of course there is because there's a role for everyone in politics regardless of your religious you know any religion or none that that's kind of how a democracy works Um, the place of fundamentalism and nationalism and liberalism um, within religions and how that reflects the politics uh the the melting pot of society which we've seen um with various waves of immigration to Australia, the United States, other places, the way that uh, the politics but also the religion of people as you get to third and fourth generations change and and is that going to change things in the future? And then finally, everyone gave a a brief shout-out on whether politicians should be open or minimal about their faith. And so I'm wondering, Jamal, kind of what struck you about that all? Was Was there anything that surprised you or particularly interested you? in any of those areas, the things we heard last night? Um, I mean, like, there was a whole lot that interested me, I guess, about the whole thing and, and all the various different comments. I mean, maybe it might be worth going through bit by bit uh, and kind of, kind of, I, th- I guess, attacking each of those topics as, as they came up because I, I do think they were quite different in a lot of ways and, and I, I found a really interesting um, progression of the night when – you know, people, I think, got into their groove and spoke about the mm-hmm. various uh, ways that they approached them. So, I mean, to start with the the secular um, the secular state uh, kind of thing at the start, um, I think... And, we, and is there a need for faith in politics, I mm, think, was the particular... Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, I think... Um, I, th- I think one of the things that I really liked about kind of each of the answers around this one was that there was a real understanding that... I think faith sets up people to be good people, Mm -hmm. you know, and that if you are a good person and if you uh, bring that kind of goodness of your personhood to politics and to kind of the operations of the state and to your voting and everything else, that that will kind of inherently, um, you know, will inherently lead to positive outcomes. That was probably... Uh, it was probably best articulated um, by by Professor Derry Inner, yeah. who spoke about you know Islam as this kind of you change the individual and then you change society, right? So through this individual development and relationship with God, you then kind of it flows into uh, you know being a good member of your society and being you know involved in the kind of political operations of your society. I, I found that really interesting because I, I reckon that's. You know, basically a Protestant idea in a lot of ways as well that you change the. In- I, th- I think she even said that you you change the individual's hearts mm. um, and advance their morality, and that that's going to lead to a better society. We were talking about King Ashoka, is that right? That's right. Yes, who, um, who also got a shout out on the night. Actually, he did actually. Yeah, the um, the the Tibetan Buddhist was quite pleased with him, but um, yeah. We we're talking about King Ashoka, and, and you were you were describing that change in the person, right? That mm. that led to the change in the way that he ruled the world, and and so it was, yeah, interesting to see that commonality across certainly the uh, Islam, Buddhism, Christianity as they were represented last night. 
I um, I did like how uh, Chedek Rinpoche did talk about um, one of my favorite things, which are you know we're all people, but we're not enlightened. Yeah. Uh, which was which was great. Was like, he, yeah. he said Buddhists would prefer not to be involved in politics, yeah. but but we're not enlightened, so we kind of we're yeah. stuck with it. <laughs> which, which I feel like is very much an attitude that I hold. Um, although one thing I found interesting, so you know, um, uh, Chedek Rinpoche was uh, he, well, he's a Tibetan Buddhist, which mm. is quite different from the tradition that I uh, follow. And he spoke about these kind of four steps of involving yourself with politics, where mm. you start with peace. Uh, and if peace doesn't work, you go to diplomacy. And if diplomacy doesn't work, you use power. And if power doesn't work, you then maybe use violence, which I found really interesting that, I mean, that was the first I'd ever, ever really heard of a Buddhist theology that does even accept the use of violence in any, oh, in any okay, scenario. Because, yeah. you know, certainly in the Theravada Buddhism, um, you know, if diplomacy doesn't work and power doesn't work, you just accept your fate as suffering and you, know, you accept being <laughs> oppressed rather than using yeah, violence. That's kind of a non-violent approach, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I found that interesting because like the the thing that wasn't said there with those that four-step approach is like, well, what's the goal mm. of your engagement with politics? And, and I mean, everyone sort of talked around a bit um, the, the idea that the, the pursuit of politics shouldn't be power for its own sake. It has to be for the betterment of society or the betterment of others and certainly not, and, and again, this was interesting considering we had people from three minority groups um, as well as Christianity, um, that, that government shouldn't be about just the interests of the group that I represent but should be for, for everyone. Yeah. It, and so what are you exercising your diplomacy and power and if you're going to turn to violence, well, what's that actually in aid of? And that, that wasn't articulated. I would have loved to have heard what he had to say on that. Well, yeah, and, and I think so, – so probably the way this question was phrased on the night, which I, um, which I think we, we kind of skipped over a little bit, which was kind of should someone of X faith engage in politics mm. was kind of the, the question posed. Um, and, yeah, and I think um, the, the kind of the Buddhist answer that was given was very much about how somebody should engage with politics, if mm. at all, and – and kind of didn't. Well, I mean, maybe he did gloss over the the should we with that first answer of well, probably not. But you know what, we're going to right. <laughs> yeah. Which again, I think is a very Buddhist answer of kind of accepting the realities that you know even even though ideally a Buddhist should not. Yeah, you know, I think he did talk about how the Buddha renounced politics, but he's like, well, the Buddha was enlightened. So when you get enlightened, but, you don't but, need politics. So the 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 four steps mm-hmm. that he gave: peace, diplomacy, power, violence. He credited to the Buddha. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, he said the Buddha was enlightened. The Buddha renounced politics himself, but he also kind of described how that works. Yeah. And, and, and there's an interesting question there of what's prescriptive versus descriptive mm, in that. Yeah. And I think, too, there is an acceptance that the Buddha spoke a lot about ways to live for people who were not enlightened as well. So mm. it wasn't just a just do the enlightened thing. It was also if you want to live well, here's how you should do it outside of being enlightened. Mm. Mm. Which I think also then, if we go back to the kind of the Muslim answer here, um, you know, that idea of, you know, should a Muslim engage in politics with the answer kind of being yes, but only once you've developed yourself, you know, <laughs> to, a, to a degree where you like to me, that one was because that was a much more interesting answer of kind of going, you have to develop yourself um, to a degree of kind of ethical conduct and to a degree of, you know, engaging with God and being, you know, being 
uh, right spiritually, and yeah. then Professor Enig used the phrase "advanced morality" mm. a couple of times. I kind Absolutely. of noted that down. Yeah, yeah, and, and and I remember this kind of line of like politics will just mirror the individuals in society, right? So yeah. it's a, there's almost an acceptance there that you know, particularly in a Muslim majority society, it's almost impossible for Muslims to not engage with politics, right? That <laughs> it's going to happen. So the, yep. the focus is less on. Uh, less on that and more about like developing your your ethics and how you engage with that in society um and you know the 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 diversity of of kind of you know politics is inherently diverse uh, divisive right it, mm. it's going to divide people um and that that kind of division you know can be brought back together and healed and you have a better politics when you are united religiously and when you can kind of you know, when when each individual involved in politics is actually uh, working from this kind of same ethical framework of of following following Allah. That's that's really interesting because that's not what I heard mm. from her. I, I heard um, Professor Ina saying saying the value of democracy because that actually allows our diversity. It allow it allows us to have difference and disagreement. Um, in well, in a controlled fashion, right? That's just a classic defense of liberal democracy. Mm. Um, and so, I, certainly from what I heard from her, she was quite hopeful about the future, precisely from a democratic perspective. And and we should um, add with that that she does, I think, at least some of her um, work or study in Turkey, mm. um, which has just had elections recently, where there was um, one party in particular saying that if you vote for um, – if you don't vote for our party, you're not a true Muslim, um, which was a view that I, I think she disagreed with. I mm. think she said that. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, I found also um, the Hindu perspective really interesting. So, um, you know, when um, – I feel like Santosh Gupta kind of almost said less than anyone else, but it was always interesting what he had to say. Yeah. Absolutely right. And I, so, I mean, I, I, again, I think Hinduism is probably the religion I probably know less about out yeah, of the ones that were too. there. Um, but, you know, for him, he was very much, I think he really kind of, I think, wanted to stress the point that Hinduism is quite a separate thing to lots of other religions. Like it doesn't operate mm. in the same way. So I think he described it as a secular religion. Yeah, a little bit, right. Yeah. yeah. So it was like, you know, we have, you know, you have your God, you have, um, you know, everyone, uh, you know, who are, you're doing the religious practices and all that kind of thing. But you're also like, the, that. that's kind of it's almost this private thing that you do and it's almost you know kind of different and you know separate from your political engagement or from how you mm. operate in society and whatever else and and yeah it's very much about kind of it's almost like about a a kind of a he, he used the words like logic and kind of questioning and reason and, and yeah reasoning a lot so yeah there's almost this kind of philosophical engagement with hinduism which i guess for me also i i feel like does align with my understanding of hinduism because Probably one of the big things about Hinduism that I that I do know is that it it operates on a very different kind of um, not a theology but a, but a, but a different kind of understanding mm. of the world than mm. most other Judeo Christian religions. Well, well it's not Judeo Christian, well, right? Is, like yeah, so, yeah. that's a, a fundamental well, difference, but, but, and but it's, it's not atheistic like the Buddhism. Yeah, but it's it's more different than say the difference between um, Buddhism and Christianity. I would say because there's almost this sense of like. There are it's it, it's it's a fundamentally different structure and mm. way of interpreting the world that's just to me inherently non-Western, right? And and very much 
it's 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 a different engagement of what the world is and how the world operates and the forces that that act upon it and i think it almost breeds its own kind of version of a lot of the things in west in western culture that we would say of like philosophy science yep. all these different things yep. that that there's a hindu version of all of those things that is going on that is just fundamentally different and, and it, borderline inaccessible mm. from a Western thought perspective. Um, but it, it's interesting that you mention that because um, one scholar of religion, a, a Christian guy called John Stackhouse, a Canadian, um, in one of his books that I have, he, he writes about um, talking talking with people about Hinduism. And the question is, which Hinduism? Mm. Because we sort of look at it as this amorphous blob almost but like just like how in the islamic world there's sunni and shia and so on and um in christianity there's protestant and orthodox and catholic and then all the variations within that my, my understanding is that it's even more varied within hinduism yeah absolutely um so so it is it's interesting and i, I think jonathan cole the christian kind of captured this probably more than any of the other speakers because he was conscious of speaking for what is still the um, largest religion in Australia, if not an absolute majority. But as a single representative, he was never going to encapsulate the whole breadth of what Christian thought is in Australia. Uh, and so likewise, we've, we've probably got snippets of um, certainly Buddhist, but also uh, Islamic and, and Hindu thought, and, and you and I aren't qualified to work out what snippets we were getting and, and what we weren't, right? Yes. Um, yeah, no, that, that is interesting. And um, and, and the side note on here that the, the point was stridently made that the, the BJP, the ruling party of India, is not a Hindu party. Well, yeah, I was I was going to go there because it's it's described often as as hindu nationalism mm. right this this movement within india well yeah and, and my understanding of it and probably my understanding of um sanjay gupta the, the bjp for those who don't know the the indian government um narendra modi the prime minister for the last what well, best part of the last decade mm. um is a, the leader of the bjp yeah yeah I, and my understanding of the position that was laid out uh last night was um was that you know, it's it's probably an Indian nationalist party that has co-opted Hinduism, but it's not inherently a Hindu party. Is so that, you, you could say the same thing that? about the Republican right, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, the, you could say that that's not a Christian party, even though it uses Christianity yeah. a lot in its kind of, uh, you know, in its way of being politically, which, again, I think tracks with kind of the opinion on politics that was expressed around mm. this idea that, you know, that that there's no inherent link between faith and politics in Hinduism. It's, it's not something that your faith doesn't lend you to say, well, now I've got to go and engage in politics or now I've got to whatever else. It's just it's just a way of seeing the world and a way of engaging uh, with the world and and, um, and understanding it. And uh, See, I feel like that was something that I heard from, from pretty much all of the speakers last night, right, mm-hmm. was that um, people of whichever faith, should be involved in politics because it's kind of it, it's an inevitable part of being human, and your faith is going to give you a way of approaching politics. and And there was a lot of kind of commonalities in that way that was spoken about, like peacefulness and striving for unity and um, looking out for the the other, not the self. And, and I wonder how much of that was a construct of the fact that we were talking explicitly about faith and the democratic, mm. um, and and how much of this is kind of left to their own devices, any of the faiths, including Christianity, would sort of 
wind up with that viewpoint or do we have that viewpoint because we live in a democratic society and we see all the benefits of of that and so then our faith is shapes itself to match that yes and i think that goes to a conversation we were having after the event so i I prepped a question uh to ask there and we we didn't get a chance to ask it so uh we ended up talking about it afterwards um with people involved and you know what i was really keen to understand and ask was you know with democracy as a liberal humanist kind of um a secular liberal humanist kind of um uh, system right like it, mm. it, it is a system that is founded on the premises of secular humanism being that the feelings and preferences of the individual have the ultimate authority you know what i like is the most important thing if i wake up one day and want to vote for this person that's who i should vote for and that is inherently good and there's a kind of a power and authority and um and a sense of rightness that is uh given to the individual I mean, how do the various religions engage with that? And like, and would they see democracy as kind of inherently the right way to go, given that most religions, and all, at least all the religions represented, recognize an authority that is higher mm. than uh, than the individual? And you know, the, 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 which I think in your example was God, for instance, right, or, or the Quran, or the yeah, the well, Bible, or yeah, well, yeah, and you know, this idea that you know. To me, the divine right of kings from medieval Europe is a much more Christian way of ruling society than democracy. And you know, in, 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 in Buddhist case, even without a god, there is this sense of like, well, yeah, human beings have preferences, but they're all completely fallible and subject to defilement. And actually, <laughs> you probably shouldn't listen to them anyway. And like, so yeah, should anyone rule then? Well, yeah, maybe. Like, and, yeah. But, and yeah, so it was interesting to talk about that after the after the event because it was like, well, yeah, what is what is that position on democracy and how how do the religions engage with this idea that there is this system that you know everyone there was was pro democratic everyone absolutely was vehemently pro democratic so i was just interested to hear about what that approach was and and it was interesting in that conversation that it came up the the idea of democracy kind of modern democracy that you can broadly trace back to the Protestant Reformation, right, which is, which is also where you can trace back some of the ideas around the Enlightenment and this um, prioritising of the individual, um, that it, it emerges alongside or from this sense of, in, in Protestantism, that scripture is the highest authority, right? Mm-hmm. Like, And therefore my interpretation and my reading of scripture is authoritative rather than what the Pope tells me about scripture yeah Um, and i think that goes to probably i think probably the most convincing argument that i heard in to counter that point which was this idea that you know democracy may not be the absolutely correct spiritual uh political system but it's the political system that we need in order to function a society in a better mm. way and that you you essentially you accept that human beings and human society is never going to be are completely and purely spiritual, right? So, you know, it's better than the divine right of kings because those kings are also just as fallible as any individual. And so, you know, you should, you know, essentially, you know, as you said, um, you know, value the multitude of experiences of God rather than just one person's experience of God. And, and you know, this sense of, yeah, that, that how, we, how we run our world as human beings, we can aspire to do so in line with, with our religions, but it's never going to just perfectly do that which just comes down to an an interesting like it maybe connects with some comments that were made at the end of the night but like if if you have then 
views that flow out of your religious belief, your understanding of God about the correct way to structure society and the, and the best way for things to be governed. Where, you know, whether that is um, some kind of divine right of kings, say, or whether that's kind of mandating Friday prayers for everybody or whether it's taking the, um, the Four Noble Truths and Im- embedding them in your ruling systems somehow, right? Um, that, that all of that implies some actions of, of power and imposition on others. And, and maybe it was because our panel was so pro-democratic that that, that didn't really come across. Even, even the love of neighbour, like you can, you can find ways to compel people to act charitably or, mm. or what have you. Um, and, and you could, you could mount an argument from any of, of those perspectives to, to run that non-democratically to, to usher in the, the best system that you could have, which is going to wind up in some kind of totalitarian Mm. system. Um, whereas democracy leaves at least sort of space for the conscience and disagreement and, and those kind of things. And, And that rubs up against religious ideas mm. perhaps sometimes because um oh that sorry this is where we were going <laughs> because um at the end the, fi- the final question is should politicians be open or minimal about their faith uh, and both santosh gupta and um professor um ina said well yes people should be able to be open about like like basically when you come into politics you bring all of who you are mm. and you should be open about hey i've got my faith beliefs and and whatever and and the buddhist lama whose name you're going to have to say uh oh yeah you put me on the spot here (laughs) it's uh chodak rinpoche chodak rinpoche thank you um he he said uh, actually no you shouldn't speak openly about your faith he had a fun little story there but yeah um that what you do is more important than what you believe uh, and Jonathan Cole picked that up from a Christian perspective and ran with it, maybe not as far as, as I would have run with it to say, yeah, like the, the difference that your faith makes, whether it's Christianity or Islam or Buddhism or whatever, should be apparent in your actions and the things you do. The question that was put to him was, you know, can, can you really be a Christian in politics and lock people up on desert islands for years and years for coming here by boat and run a robo-debt scheme and those those kind of things? And and he said that the difference should be apparent in what you, what you do. And it seems to me that um, faith, especially Christianity, it can be used as a proxy sometimes for, hey, look, I'm a kind of morally good person because I profess a Christian faith and then the the question is where is that in your actions um and he also interestingly said that you know it, it's a democracy it's a free country if you want to run on a religious platform that we're going to institute the 10 commandments and we're going to like you know make everybody go to church every sunday or whatever because that's how we think a good society is operate well you're welcome to run on that platform but i don't think you're going to get very far mm, um yeah yeah and and yeah, again you could say the same thing about um, Islam, maybe not Hinduism or Buddhism quite so much. Yeah, and I, I think... Um, so there's a moderating tendency almost in democracy. There is. I, I have an interesting counterbalance to that, which is that, and Joe, this wasn't really spoken about much in the room, and I, yeah, I probably understand why. Um, but, you know, um, I think 
the, I have an interesting angle on this where I would I would have loved to hear more about Sharia law mm. in this because I think yeah. Sharia law is very much a system of running society, right? If you're talking about a a political system, um, it's not it's it's a legal system rather than a political system, um, but it definitely operates. Um, engage with politics in a much more explicit way than a lot of mm. other religions do. And I think there is, you know... Well, in fact, it, it is its own political system. Yes. Uh, in a way that, you know, maybe Judaism has in, mm. in aspects of the Old Testament, but certainly not then in, in Christianity or, or Buddhism. Yeah, and, and there, were, there were some passing references to ways that Muhammad, peace be upon him, uh, operated as a kind of political leader of Medina. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were ways where... As an inclusive leader. Yes, was, yeah, That absolutely. was how it was presented, yeah. Yeah, and there were references to the, to the various caliphs and, and that kind of thing. But yeah, I, I I don't know a heap about Sharia law outside of kind of my contextual understandings of uh, Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, so t- to take on the point that was made around running on a purely religious platform, I mean, in a lot of countries, people do that. You know, there is uh, PAS, which I uh, can't remember the, the three words it stands for, but, you know, there's a Malaysian Islamic party. Um, it runs on a completely Islamic platform. It, its whole platform is Malaysia should be run as a Islamic Sharia-based country. Mm. Um, in the states that we control, we will implement this and please vote for us federally so we can do this federally, right? Like, um, And and it's pretty successful. It's got a solid 15 to 20% of the vote consistently. Yep. It's, you know, it's generally part of a ruling coalition of parties a lot of the time. It, it, it often kind of holds the swing between a few other bigger parties and, you know, and, um, yeah, it's, it's very explicitly political and also very explicitly Islamic. And so, you know, and I think you do see in a lot of Islamic countries that more explicit, um, you know, I think, I think Turkey is an interesting one because it is so explicitly secular and the history of that country yeah. is a very, very secular history. Um, but, you know, you can point to Indonesia, you can point to a lot of countries in the Middle East, you can point to a lot of places where um, where I, th- I think that point is contested, where mm. running on a purely religious platform is a very, you know, a very successful way to power and almost you, you can't get into power without doing that. And, and there's a really interesting question there, and, and it would probably be true of... Christian nationalist parties as well, which, uh, as far as I can think, with it, you know a couple of exceptions, but in Western democracies, Christian nationalist parties have not generally had majorities in. I mean, in, in parliaments, in, right? Maybe not Christian nationalists, but I mean, the An- Angela Merkel's party in Germany was the Christian Democratic. Yeah, party. Chris- Christian Democratic party. party, but that's a, yeah. like, and that that's common in Scandinavia and Germany yeah. and other places, but they're um, they're not. Like they're kind of informed by Christian values, sure. but they're not bringing in some version of, of Sharia law or yeah. um, or what have you. Uh, just to to note that um, democracies are inherently fragile things. They they kind of depend on everybody more or less agreeing that democracy is a good thing and running with that um, on on levels of accountability. That was spoken about a bit about. Um, last night, like the, the importance of um, engaged voters or, in, or an engaged um, society in politics. A few people said this because 
if you're not engaged and there's no accountability um, and then governments start to you know drift into various you know tyrannical or corrupt um, directions uh, and and it's just I think an interesting question as to when you get those kind of major like parties with a really deep um, kind of religious conviction about how the country should be run and then a mandate to set that up does that threaten democracy in some way like you talked about Turkey um, and there are those who see um, Erdogan and and his party as a kind of a strongman kind of party and the, the BJP in India whether they're Hindu or whether they're like predominantly Hindu or predominantly nationalist there's uh, it's argued that there's aspects of kind of anti-democratic sentiment that come with that um, and so if you have a strong religious view about how society should operate and you then seek to implement it, does that actually inherently challenge some of the tenets of liberal democracy? Uh, potentially, but I, I, I feel like there's a thing here where I, I think we are biased in the West towards the versions of democracy being how we understand it to be. And maybe this is a difference between, say, a liberal democracy or a socialist democracy or a a theocratic democracy or whatever else, right? But I, I guess my my position would be, and and again, I, I hold this lightly and I probably hold this with an understanding that society changes and so you sure. need to have check-in points. But I also go, if a society democratically wants to be ruled in a religious theocratic way, that if a society democratically wants to be ruled undemocratically, isn't that democracy, right? Well, like, well, like, so this is um, what the word liberal is doing mm -hmm. in liberal democracy, right, as opposed to illiberal democracy mm -hmm. and the distinctions made by political scientists, right, between um, liberal democracy on one hand and majoritarianism on mm -hmm. the other, which is kind of a, the tyranny of the majority where, you know, 80% of voters vote for this party because they really believe in it, whatever. And, and so as a 20%, you're, you're kind of stuck where you are which which was a position that none of the speakers last night were in favor of and, and maybe it was because uh, majority populations within Australia were strongly represented on the panel but they they one of the things that they all said they valued about democracies is that everyone's voice can be heard and it actually you know has a place for protecting the rights of minorities even where that is done imperfectly yeah and and I, I guess my point is I think there is a balance there Right, I think I think there is a balance that can be struck in many countries, and I think is struck in many countries between allowing for the the minority voices to be heard, allowing for the majority to not oppress the minorities, but also allowing for a real understanding and acceptance that the ways in which a society wishes to be run may not line up with this kind of purely liberal democratic kind of you know you know elections every three to four years kind of way right and you know, or you know the, the separation of church and state right like I, to me that's the big one right like mm. that that there are lots of countries even with minority populations where you know people want there to be a connection with church and state and 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 i guess I, my kind of thought is who am i to say that that's wrong right from my position i'm aware that my opinions on this are influenced by 
the way where, where I've grown up and I've grown up in a place where there is a strong separation of church and state. And I think that's good because I've, that's what I know. Right. <laughs> but like, you know, I, I, I don't inherently think that that should just be the default. And I think that there's almost something that is more purely democratic to allow for countries to democratically choose to be undemocratic in various ways, as, as long as you can, you know, ensure that oppression doesn't happen. Right. And mm. I think that that's a balancing act. Yeah. No, I like, I think that's a, that's a fair comment and and just for me that's that's where the liberal in liberal democracy is doing so much work because that, that is basically the the guarantor insofar as it is that oppression doesn't take place right mm-hmm. so again the um, the the Muslim and Christian and even Tibetan on the the panel and certainly um, the Hindu Santosh could could talk about the examples of kind of predominantly Christian, Buddhist, Islamic, Hindu societies being inclusive and tolerant and so on. But there's also times when those majority populations are not inclusive and not tolerant um, of minorities um, and and not accepting of the other, even though that is, you know, ostensibly upheld as a value mm. within the faith. And... You, you can't look at that society and say, oh, well, it, it clearly wasn't Islamic at this point. You can't look at Europe during the time of the Crusades and go, oh, well, they weren't really Christians at that point, even though we might argue about, well, how, how well were they following the Christian teaching? But what you can do is you can look at it and say, well, they, weren't, they were illiberal Mm, um, yeah. and, and individual rights and dignities weren't upheld. Which again goes back to my point of I think the prioritization of individual rights and dignities is a very humanist creed. And I, I, I just... Well, I, but I it's, just a it's a Protestant creed. Like, it's it's fundamentally Christian, man. It's... I, I think it's fundamentally Christian in that humanism is fundamentally <laughs> Christian, right? Like, sure, you, sure. Like, sure. You, we, we can draw that back and I can say Protestantism is fundamentally Zoroastrian, right? Like, you can... You can <laughs> we need to do an episode on Zoroastrian yeah, yeah. at some stage. You, yeah, yeah. You, you can go back all as far as you want, right? Like, you know, I, yeah. Um... So I, I do want to double back a little bit because I, I found you skipped over it, but I, I did find really quite amusing the story that um, that that our Buddhist uh, Tibetan monk told about um, the UN Secretary General Utan. Yes. Uh, so this was in in response to like you know, the the statement of you know well what you do is more important than what you believe and you shouldn't really speak openly about your religion. So he was talking about pre- former UN Secretary General Utan, who um, was a was a Burmese. Uh, Buddhist, um, but, you know, rose up the ranks in the UN. Um, became Secretary General in the 60s. Yes, yeah. became Secretary General. Um, and, you know... Back when even Australians could be Secretary General of the UN. <laughs> Back then. Um, and, you know, and, and Burma was not a particularly well, you know, known, yeah. super popular country. Um, it, it, you know, there wasn't anything inherent in that. Um, but also, you know, he, he wasn't um, particularly open about his faith. He was, you know, he was just that guy from Burma. Um, and, you know, so much so that, um, that you know, people didn't really know. Like, other than mm. his friends, people didn't really know he was a Buddhist. It, it, that just wasn't what he was were there for. And he was m- much more uh, known for his actions and his behaviours and whatever else. Um, up until he goes on this visit to Nepal <laughs> uh, and, like, you know, he's visiting Nepal um, as the Secretary General and... and um, 
and and you know thinks oh while I'm there I'll, I'll go to Lumbini the birthplace of the Buddha um and and asks the the I think it's the king of Nepal at the time you know hey can can you organize me a trip to Lumbini and the king's like oh why do you want to go there Nepal being a, a Hindu majority nation at this time correct yeah oh and still still Nepal, okay Nepal is very much a Hindu majority nation still um and um and yeah you know, so they go well why do you want to go there you know and like again being a Hindu majority and also not knowing the guy's a Buddhist. <laughs> and so they, they, they sit up, they go there, and he rocks up and he sees that it's really run down, really dilapidated, not very cared for. And so then immediately goes back to the UN and just like, just pushes through this. He gets it like this, UNESCO listed, yeah, right? getting it UNESCO <laughs> listed, really doing a redevelopment kind of thing. And it's just like, you know, just that, that, that one time, he's just saved up all of his religious, uh, religious, uh, I don't want to say corruption, but religious... Um, nepotism chips <laughs> to just go go at it for Lumbini. Uh, and um, the Chojak Rinpo, Rip, oh, Rinpoche. Rinpoche, thank you. Uh, he, he used this as an example of like, well, all, all humans in politics are eventually going to make some decision or other that benefits their group, right? <laughs> um, speaking of those decisions made by Buddhists, reminds me of this time a Christian and a Buddhist walk into a bar. Sounds like a wise decision. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was a great decision. And... Um, and, and they, they walk into the bar and they see another Buddhist that the, the, the first Buddhist knows. Uh, and, yeah, she's sitting at the bar and, you know, she's just, like, really covered in dust. Okay. And we're just like, oh, what's going on there? So, you know, you go up to her and be like, hey, like, oh, you know, why are you so covered in dust, you know? And she was like, oh, well, like, you know, I was um I was trying to, like, vacuum, like, my couch, right? Yep. Uh, and I couldn't get behind it. So I was just, like, rolling all over it trying to – and I got covered in dust, but I just couldn't get behind – yeah, you know, couldn't get behind my couch to vacuum. Oh, the dust. Anyway, go on, yeah, go yeah. on. Sorry, oh. I won't question the premise of <laughs> yeah, the yeah. show. And, and, and they were like, oh, like, like you know, like how come you couldn't get behind behind your couch? And like, oh, well, I'm a Buddhist. I, I have no attachments. And attachments for your vacuum cleaner. Oh. get behind oh, it. Yeah. I would have thought you just moved the couch. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. They, they were, they, yeah. Oh, oof, you really didn't like that, that one. Oh, I didn't even understand it. Now that I do, it, it's not gotten any better. <laughs> Oh well, well, well. I mean, I think we still have a few bits to talk about for this. So, do you want to come back uh, next week and um, and talk about the other the other parts of this conversation we heard last night that we we didn't get to today? Yeah, I think that sounds like a, a good plan. So we'll come back and do that. You can catch us there next week. You can catch the wonderful music of Kevin McLeod who uh, we hear every week. That's true. And this week's Kevin McLeod conspiracy theory is that Kevin McLeod actually got the Vatican listed as a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Oh, nice. Yeah. Good on you, Kevin. Um, and you, you can submit your applications to heritage listings at christianbuddhistbar at gmail.com. And you can tell your friends about this podcast if you liked it or don't if you didn't. And uh, we'll see you next week for part two. 